And we're going to pick up again in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6. So if you can get your books open, if you haven't got those yet, then go and find those. So Luke chapter 6, why don't we pray together? Um, let's pray as we start. And then we'll dive in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, one another. Thank you for a chance to spend time together. Father, thank you for good food that we can enjoy. Thank you for time together. Thank you for your word. We pray tonight that this would be a precious time, that it would be a time of us understanding more of who Jesus is and what it means to live as his people. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. Really, our big theme for tonight is give the idea of living the blessed life. What does it mean to be blessed? Uh, what does it mean to live a life that is good and fulfilling and satisfying? Uh, what does it mean to live a life that's happy? Um, my guess is that all of us would have sort of ideas about that. Um, all of us would have a kind of a picture in our heads of the blessed life, the perfect life. When I was um, a kid, one of my favourite things was to go and um, have a sleepover in my brother's room because um, I used to have sleep in a room on my own. But then when we had someone come to stay, I got to sleep in my brother's room. That was really cool until I got older. But when I was little, it was really cool. And one of the things we used to do, and I remember really uh, clearly, we used to talk about, and I realise this sounds slightly odd, we used to talk about what our kind of perfect world would be. We were, we were quite philosophical kids. Until you, until you hear what our perfect world was. Um, and I really only remember two features of our perfect world. Um, I'm sure there were many more, but these were the two I remember. One was that it was a beach made of sherbet, um, which I totally understand is impractical in many ways. Um, and the sea was lemonade. That's all I can remember about our perfect world. But for me, as a kind of an eight-year-old, that was that was like this would be the paradise. This would be the blessed life. Well, we've grown up a little bit since then, but still, most of us would have some perception of what we think would make the perfect world, what would make us happy. And if you look around London, it's not difficult to work out uh, some of those things. But when we talk about being blessed, okay, this is important for us to realise tonight. Blessed, according to the Bible, doesn't just mean that other people look at you and say, oh, you've got a great life. Blessed, according to the Bible, means that God looks at you and says you're living a great life. If you want a definition, my favourite definition of the word blessed, and this, I like this definition because it's simple, and it's simple to remember. To be blessed means to live under God's smile. It means that God smiles on you. Now, if only we were doing a sermon series at the moment on Genesis, uh, that would have been really helpful for us to understand what blessing means but you know in Genesis what we've, we are doing a series, series in Genesis in case you haven't noticed on Sundays in Genesis we've seen this world that God makes and then he makes human beings to live and he, sa- and he blesses them they live under his smile there's no sense of God's disapproval, disappointment, frown curses, nothing of that it's just God's smile on them, that's the blessed life And that is the life that God designed for us. That's the life God created for us. 
And we're going to see that when Luke introduces us to this best year ever, it is the life that is blessed. It is the life where God looks on us and smiles. So we've already seen, uh, just as a quick recap, we've already seen Jesus came to bring about this new year. We talked last time about the clock ticking around past midnight to the new day. This, the old has gone, the new has come, this new era, this year of God's favour. A year which is more than a year, it's been 2,000 years. It's been a, a period of time under which we live under God's smile, the time of blessing. A time of forgiveness, a time of healing. These are the things we've seen, right? And I hope we're beginning to get excited about what Jesus has done. The monumental change that Jesus has brought about. But we've also seen that it's kind of, we enjoy it now, but there's also a sense that it's not, ah, it's not everything yet. It's frustrating, it's disappointing, it's not everything we'd hoped it would be. Because there's still a future to this. There's a now and a not yet. That's all the stuff we've been seeing about the year of God's favour. And tonight we're going to dig into, well, what does it mean to live in this year of God's favour? What does it mean to live a blessed life? So grab your Bibles um, and turn to Luke chapter 6. It is printed in your books as well, but you'll need a Bible, um, because I'm going to turn you to one other place, or a couple other places in a minute anyway. But Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 12 to 19. Okay, here we go. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray... And spent the night praying to God. Right, just wait a second. Do you find that weird? That Jesus was praying? You know, we say that Jesus is God. So who's he talking to? If he's... I thought prayer was talking to God. Who is Jesus talking to? Why does Jesus need to pray? Well, actually, the reason Jesus prays is because he became a man. He is the Son of God... But he became a man. And to pray is something distinctly human. Uh, just as a bit of an aside, let's just do a bit of a theology of who Jesus is, a bit of an understanding, some doctrine. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He has always existed with his Father. But he didn't pray. Right? He wasn't praying. And yet now, as Jesus becomes the man, now he prays because that's what human beings do. Jesus becomes a man. He becomes dependent. He becomes one who cries out to God, his father. Interestingly, Jesus is still praying today, but that's not a question. That's another thing. We're getting to that now. But what we're seeing here is we're seeing the dependence of Jesus. Jesus lived his life not a, you know, he could have gone through life and gone, I don't need any help. I'm the son of God. I can handle this. I can manage this. No, Jesus prayed. Let me tell you, right, if Jesus needed to pray, then who am I to think that I don't need to? If Jesus needed to pray, well, how much more do we need it? How much more of a privilege is it for us to pray? As weak and frail human beings. Anyway, so Jesus goes out to pray. And he goes up on a mountainside, which is sort of rings bells with someone else who went up on a mountainside to pray. Back in the Old Testament, we're told of a man called Moses. 
goes up on a mountainside, meets with God and prays. You'll see why that's important in a minute. But let's go verse 13. When morning came, he called his twelve disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So here's Jesus. He goes up on a mountainside to pray. And then what does he do? He chooses 12 people. Okay, here's my first big point. Two big points tonight. First, and no screen, so you're going to have to write them down and remember them. Uh, first big point, this idea of living in God's best year ever, this idea of being blessed means belonging. You belong to a new people. You belong to a new people. Why are we told that Jesus chose 12 of them? Let's think about this. Let's not just rush over the details. If I'd said to you tonight, as you walked up the stairs tonight, if I'd done a survey, as you walked through the door, and I said to you, uh, just a quick quick Bible trivia question, just to welcome you tonight. <laughs> it's the sort of thing we do here. How many disciples did Jesus have? Right, we'd have gone 12. Right, now look at verse... 13. How many disciples did Jesus have? More than 12. Right? You see this? Now, it would have been a trick question because there are other places where the disciples are called the disciples. But I want you to be careful here with Luke's language. Luke is doing something very careful. There's a whole crowd. Of, I mean, he called to him, his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. That means there's more than 12. That'd be a weird thing to say if there was only 12. Okay, I'm going to choose 12 of you. Oh, there, are only, there are only 12 of you. Okay, this is going to be good. This is going to be fairly straightforward. No, the point is that there was already this group who were called the disciples. But Jesus wanted to choose 12 from among them. Which must have been quite a... Can you picture it? Must be quite an odd moment, don't you think? As they're all standing there and Jesus suddenly starts going, okay, Simon, yep, you come here. James, yep, you come here. John, Bartholomew, yep, you come. It must have been quite kind of like, is he going to pick me? <laughs> What's he doing? Well, remember when I said that Jesus went up on a mountainside, a bit like Moses went up on a mountainside. What Jesus is doing here is very deliberately establishing a new people. He chooses 12 because 12 is the number of tribes that there were in the old people of Israel. God's people in the Old Testament were built on 12 men. who were all the sons of Jacob. There were 12 of them. They were called Reuben and Simeon. Not Josiah. <laughs> they were called Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Nathan, Iscah, Ashdan, Seven, Gad, Benjamin, Judah, and Joseph. They were, those were the twelve, right? Which I only know because of the because uh, of the song. Joseph's telecolor dream coat. Anyway, thank you, Android Rubber. So, um, so there were twelve, and God's people were founded. It was a foundation, and from that twelve. All of God's people grew. And do you know what God's people were for? They were to be blessed. They were his blessed people. 
God said to his people, I will bless you. They were the people who were supposed to live under God's smile, under God's favour. And yet as the story goes on, that old people, that nation of Israel, rebelled against God time and time and time and time and time again. And with the coming of Jesus, something new starts. And God establishes a new people. And Jesus chooses a new twelve. But his point is very clear. I'm building a new people. Jesus didn't come to establish an organisation. He didn't come to establish a political party. He came to establish a new people, a new nation, built on these twelve. Now, that means that the apostles are foundation, the foundation of God's new people. That means there are no apostles today in the sense that Jesus uses the word here, Luke uses the word here. We believe that the apostles were a foundation of the church, they're the foundation of God's people. Now you sometimes hear people talk about apostles today and they use the word apostle in a slightly different way. That's okay, I wouldn't split hairs over it. I wouldn't use it that way because I want to keep the apostle language for this foundational gift. These were the guys who were the, the formation of the new people of God. But it is very interesting to notice who it is that Jesus chose. If you had to pick 12 people to establish a new people of God, who would you choose? Who would be your top picks? You'd have to shout out loud, but just think about it for a second. Harry Kane. It's excellent. He would be, he'd be your first. It's good. I want to show you something about these guys. Right, the 12 that Jesus chose. This is really important for us to see because it tells us something about the people of God. Just flick over to Acts chapter 4. Um, flick over to Acts chapter 4. It's on page 1096. Acts chapter 4, um, right at the top of page 1096. Verse 13, um, it says, When they, that's the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John, that's two of these apostles, and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. (laughs) They were ordinary, unschooled men. That's who Jesus... I want you to... You know, we get used to this. I want you to feel the shock of that. Jesus chooses to establish his new people on fishermen, on tax collectors, on people who don't have degrees, people who aren't intelligent, people who aren't aren't articulate. He chooses to build his people on ordinary men. I think that's really exciting. It tells you something about the kingdom of God. It tells you that Jesus is not interested in trying to build a worldly, impressive nation. He's interested in building a group of extraordinary people who live under God's blessing. Ordinary people who live under God's blessing. And for many of us, I think, we just feel very ordinary most of the time. I'm just, I'm just ordinary. And in our culture, ordinary is such a dirty word, right? If, you know, someone said to you, um, uh, what's, you know, what's Robin like? And you went, well, he's just, he's, he's very ordinary. 
You wouldn't go. That that would be that would be seen as quite a negative thing, right? If a little kid is growing up and they say, "What do you want to be when you grow older?" I just want to be ordinary. The teacher would say, "Oh, come on, Robin. <laughs> you can aspire to more than that. You can do more than that." Because we don't want to be ordinary, but in Jesus' kingdom, he builds the foundation of his church on ordinary people. So we better get used to the idea that to be in God's people and to live under God's blessing will mean being ordinary. So here's the foundation, but now that you might say, well, what's this got to do with me? Because here, you know, I'm not an apostle, right? I missed that by 2,000 years. I missed my moment. Well, look what happens next. Because he went down with them, verse 17, and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who'd come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So you have Jesus, you have his apostles, his foundation of his new people, but you then see that there's the disciples. That's where we fit in. The disciples are those who come to Jesus to hear and to be healed. Who come to Jesus saying, I need you, Jesus. And they come from all over the place. I love this image. If you could get kind of Google Earth zoomed in at this time in history, you'd have Jesus, this man, standing there and people just streaming to him from all over the place. And power, I love that phrase, power's coming out of him to heal people. He, it's all centred on Jesus. It's all of God's people who come to Jesus. To be a disciple, right, means you come to Jesus. That's it. If you've come to Jesus saying, Jesus, I need healing for my sin. I'm a mess. I need to listen to you. I need you to be my king. You come to Jesus, you're one of his disciples. You're not an apostle, but you are a disciple. And so as I, you know, as you came in tonight, I said, how many disciples uh, are there? You should, you, the correct answer is a vast multitude that no one can count. Millions upon millions upon millions of disciples. All who've come to Jesus. All who are part of this new people. And I sort of want us to get a little bit kind of a bit more excited about being part of God's people. It's not that the blessed life is me and my material blessing. I think we have a circumstantial view of blessing which says blessed life is about my circumstances being blessed. It's when things are going well, when I've got some money, my job's going well, my relationships are good. Oh, I feel blessed. But to be blessed is not a circumstantial thing. It's a status thing. It's not about what you have. It's about who you are. That's what blessing means. And that's why you're going to see some extraordinary things in your study about what it means to be blessed. And you're going to read it and you go, no, that's not right. That's not, that's not right. Blessed are those who weep. Well, yes it is if our blessing is about status and who we are. So it's about belonging to a new people. So you belong to new people. And secondly, much more briefly, um, you live under a new law. And this is what you're going to do lots more in your groups. You belong to a new people and you live under a new law. Because what Jesus now does as this vast group of disciples gather around him, Jesus now teaches them. 
and he teaches his disciples. But I want you to be, I want you to be crystal clear that what comes first is you become a disciple and then you live this way. It is not live this way and you can be a disciple. Jesus is going to tell us what life living as a disciple will look like. But this is for those who are already his disciples. Now the reason I say it's important is um, there were some buses going around London last year and on the side of the buses, uh, the, an Islamic society had taken out um, some adverts on the buses. And in big letters on the side of the buses, it said this. It said quite a lot of stuff. But one of the things it said was, um, bless and be blessed. Right? That is how Islam works. Okay? Bless. Do good stuff. Bless people. And then you will be blessed. If you bless others, you will receive blessing. That's how Islam works. That's how all world religions work. You do good and you receive good. Jesus is the absolute opposite. Blessing in his kingdom is the absolute opposite. It is this. You are blessed. So bless. Right? That's the way around it is. You don't earn your blessing. You are given that when you come to Jesus to be healed of your sin. You become one of his disciples. And then he says, now go live it. Now go live this life. So we need to be very careful as we read um, the, the passage we're going to read in our studies. That we remember all the way through, this is not the entry requirements to Jesus' kingdom. This is Je- Jesus describing what life in his kingdom will be like. And there's no greater privilege than belonging to God's people. No greater privilege than belonging to those who God says, these are my people. So in this best year ever, we live under God's blessing, under God's smile. We belong to a new people. We live under a new law. Why don't we thank him and praise him for that? And then we're going to turn to our groups and uh, dig into it a little bit more uh, in detail. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus has come and he has brought the best year ever. He's brought the year of your favour, the year of your smile, the year of your, your blessing. And Father, thank you that we can now belong to a new people. Thank you that the foundation has been laid. Thank you that the, this is the new people, the new blessed people, and that we can share in that blessing. Thank you that you call us to be ordinary, you call us to serve, you call us to live as your people. You call us to come to Jesus, to be people who are united by Jesus. And then you call us to live under Christ's new law, to live his way. So Father, please teach us tonight. Help us in our groups now. Give us wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen.